when you think about those lost sheep, um, when an animal is lost and scared and frightened, doesn't know how to find its way home, doesn't know how to get out of trouble, what, what, what does it tend to do? They can be aggressive, right? Sometimes they can act out of character. I, like, I just wonder if, like, what if the church, what if these, all these assistant shepherds, right? Like, what, what if we could start having a, what if we could start seeing a lost world not as our enemies and not as our adversaries, but just as people who know something's wrong that just, they just don't have the answer and they, they just really need somebody to tell them that they're loved and that they have a home. And I wonder if, like, if we could put ourselves in that place and wonder what it would feel like to be lost and alone and not have those answers and, and maybe a group of people. Like if, like if you were that person, if you were lost and alone and you didn't know where to go, what if you found out that there was a group of people gathered together on a Sunday taking their time to try to figure out how to most effectively tell you that you're loved? <laughs> I think that would be a beautiful thing. We're not here to be against the world. We're here to find the lost sheep. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today. Um, today, what I wanna do is I wanna share with you some wisdom from some different people in my life um, who uh, have been really influential in helping me figure out how to integrate my faith, what I believe about Jesus, with the way I live my everyday life. Uh, the first one, first voice, obviously, it comes from scripture, um, but let me pray and then we'll read. Father God, we are grateful um, unless I'm imagining things, I feel the wind of the AC, not just the wind of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we are grateful. Um, but beyond, beyond that, we are grateful to be your family gathered in whatever conditions. I'm grateful that you have called us home, that you've given us a place that loves us, that, a place where we can be known, a place where we can grow and learn together, where we are accepted as we are, but we are challenged to become more like you. God, give us a mind and a heart for those who just aren't here yet. Give us compassion and mercy. Give us grace. And then give us courage and strength to do what you've called us to do. So the scriptures read as the gospels proclaimed this morning, pray that you'd open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could receive what you have for us today. And then use our hands and our feet and our mouths to let people know that they are loved and that you have done something that only you can do to make everything right. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So the first voice I want you to hear is from the prophet Isaiah. This comes from Isaiah 43. Uh, he says this, he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? So right away, the first question is, what is this new thing Isaiah is talking about? And the odd thing for us is that for us, it's actually an old thing. The new thing Jesus is, I mean, the new thing Isaiah is talking about is Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of Jesus and God's own spirit. That's the new thing that Isaiah was pointing toward. And he's doing this five to 600 years before the New Testament, before the time of Jesus. And he goes on to say this new thing that God has now done, Isaiah goes on to explain that it has implications for all creation. He says, I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, to my chosen. 
Isaiah in particular is going to say more about the implications of what God has done for all creation, chapter 65 and others. But here's the point. He says this. He's done all this to give drink to his people, to his chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Now look at that really close. That they may do what? Okay. It doesn't say that they may praise God, even though we should praise God. It says, but that they may proclaim his praise. Y'all, God chose Israel, not because they were unique, not because they were special. He chose them because he chose them, and he chose them for a purpose. So that by the way they lived together, by the work that they did, God's character, God's activity in the world, that it would be revealed not only to their immediate neighbors, but eventually to the ends of the earth. God chose Israel so that all might come to know God and in turn make him known to the ends of the earth, to know God and to make him known. That's the purpose and that has always been the plan. The Old Testament is testimony to the fact that Israel hadn't always done a very good job of that. They had seasons of faithfulness, but they just always had this tendency to turn inward, to keep it for themselves, to keep for themselves the gift and the privilege of being God's chosen people. They were pretty good at remembering the stories of what God has done. They were fairly faithful in keeping their traditions and their rituals. The problem is they often forgot the point. What Israel forgot was that their traditions and their rituals were designed to make them inwardly strong so that they could be outwardly focused, so that they could be effective in the mission that he called them to do. They forgot the reason they were chosen in the first place, to know God and to make him known to the ends of the earth. Now here we are today. 2,000 years after the new thing that God has done. Christ has come. His spirit has descended on us. And here we are practicing our traditions and our rituals well. I think we do those things really well. But here we are sometimes missing the point. Forgetting why we are part of God's family in the first place. Forgetting that our traditions and our rituals are designed so that we will become inwardly strong and outwardly focused and effective in the mission that God has called us to do. Like here we are oftentimes forgetting that our only job is to know God and to make him known. The new thing has already come and we remember and we celebrate it really well here and I'm grateful for that. But the commission from our Lord is not to only remember and celebrate it well, it's to get to work. It's to share this good news that we have received to share it with others. So we're part of a denomination. Um, We're part of a form of Presbyterianism that really is set up so that local churches can do this job well. That's the purpose of our denomination. And there are three words that, that we use to define ourselves as a group of churches. Those three words are evangelical, reformed, and egalitarian. So in reverse order, egalitarian, it simply means that we believe that the unique giftings of both men and women are used by God to lead his church at every level. We affirm that. 
reformed. Okay, that means a lot of things. <laughs> but simply put, it means that God is sovereign and that we are broken. And that when we recognize that we are broken, that we're going in the wrong direction, we know what to do. We repent. We return to God through scripture and in prayer. And then we invite the spirit to transform us into the people and into the church that God intends for us to be. But we are also decidedly evangelical. It's a very important word. The problem is that especially right now in our culture and in this time, that's a loaded word, right? In a lot of ways, it's become hijacked. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I'm telling you the word evangelical, it only means one thing. It means that we have really good news to share, specifically that the crucified Christ is alive and he's looking for his lost sheep. So evangelicalism, being an evangelical, I claim it, I affirm it, because it is nothing more and it is certainly nothing less than telling others this good news, than just simply introducing them to the person of Jesus. So listen, evangelical, evangelicalism, it is not a dirty word. It is the hope for all humanity. And to the extent that that word has been hijacked for political purposes, for whatever purposes, we need to reject that and we need to reclaim the simple meaning of the word. To know God and to make him known. We not only need to reclaim the simple meaning of the word, we need to accept the call and do the work. Isaiah also had a vision of what that looks like. He had a vision of the church in the future. He says this in Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. So let me share with you a couple influential voices um, that guide my thinking to help kind of drive this point home. The first one is an Anglican archbishop. His name is William Temple. And what I'm about to read to you, he was speaking of the work that the church was doing in England in the early 20th century. Um, so he said this, he said, the evangelism of England is a work that cannot be done by the clergy alone. There can be no widespread evangelization of England unless the work is undertaken by the lay people of the church. The ministry of evangelism is a charge laid upon the whole church by its Lord. It is the very essence of the Christian calling. Another pastor and theologian named Alistair Begg, he says this, he says, evangelism is the normal life of the church and can never be an optional extra. And this is true both personally and congregationally. And y'all listen, regardless of the world, what the world might think about us, what they might think of that word, regardless of the baggage that now accompanies the word evangelical or evangelism, the fact remains that sharing the good news and making disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, it's the only work that Jesus gave us to do. It's the only commission he gave us. And he gave us the power of the Holy Spirit by which to do it. And not just some of us, all of us. There's no debating this. The hard part is wrestling with how do we actually do it? Because I think the reality, if we're honest, that so many people, and maybe many of you here today, like maybe you just feel ill-equipped. If I ever ask people this question, and I know others have done this too, what's so scary about sharing the gospel about, about evangelism, one of the most common responses is, what if I don't know the answers to their questions? Can I give you some good news? 
you're not gonna know the answers to their questions. <laughs> you're not, they're gonna have questions that, that you have. The goal is not to know every answer to every question. That's not what Christ has asked us to do. But maybe, maybe you just don't even know where to start. Maybe you don't know how to begin. All those fears are real, but I'm telling you, we can overcome them. There's another Anglican bishop named Michael Bond, and he says that the way to overcome this is just to look at how Jesus did it. So he reminds us of two scriptures in particular. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his father, and even as he's talking to God, he explains the mission of his church. He says this in John 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then in John chapter 20, he says the same thing, but he says it directly to his disciples. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the key. As the Father sent Jesus, that is how Jesus sends us into the world. So this Anglican bishop, he explains the model like this, and this is a little long, but it's good. I want you to hear it. He says, Jesus did this. God sent him by becoming incarnate, and that just means in the flesh. Jesus was present with us. And he was not only present with us, he was involved with us sharing our life and our experiences. Like Beth said, Jesus met with agnostics and atheists and hypocrites and enemies, as well as inquirers and believers and disciples. And he took time with them, one-to-one. Jesus was somebody that could share in our poverty and he could sit at a rich man's table with ease. And he adapted his approach to his circumstances. But in all this, Jesus was constantly aware of his own sentness. And he goes on to say, sentness is not confined to missions or evangelistic efforts, but widens out to embrace the whole purpose of our lives. We are sent into the world, into the insurance office, the sports club, the assembly line, the street. All we do is as God's people and wherever we go and whatever we do, it is as those who are sent by the Lord. There should be no separation between our business life and our Christian life. No place for living a double life. Our membership in the body of Christ is to pervade our whole life. This is the Christian faith in the rough and tumble of everyday life. Y'all, if you've been around here for any length of time at all, all of that should sound really familiar. Like it's at the heart of the benediction that we declare over one another as we leave this place every single Sunday. And I'm convinced this is how we do it. By simply being members of the body of Christ as we live and move in the world, in the workplace, at school, in the neighborhood, on the golf course, wherever you are, wherever we go, whatever we do, Evangelism is not only about what we say about Jesus, it's how we display Jesus. Living the kind of lives that make people ask the question, what's different about you? And when the question's asked, be ready to give an answer. So I have this burning sense, like I have a little bit of a fire in my belly right now, that it's time for us to stop simply declaring this over one another every Sunday, 
It's time for us to be equipped to actually start doing it. So in a minute, I'm gonna share a couple resources with you. We'll keep talking about this over time, but there's one last voice that I want you to hear. Many of you know Al Poling. Al, if you wanna come up and join me. Um, Al is an elder in the Presbyterian Church. Al is a certified lay pastor. Al is a student who just can't stop taking classes. Uh, He's currently a student at Eco's Flourish Institute of Theology. I asked earlier if he's the oldest student at Eco's Flourish Institute of Theology. Uh, You said maybe not, but probably in your classes. There's one guy that's older. One guy that's older. All right. Maybe maybe I'm taking classes because I'm a slow learner. Uh, That's okay. Al's a dear friend. He's an influential voice in my life. Like Al has challenged me to not only think deeper about evangelism, but to call our church to action. And he's right. So I just want to invite him up, let you hear his story, and then uh, we'll wrap it up today. Yeah, thanks, Chad. So what I'm going to do today is something that's uh, rarely done, especially in the Presbyterian Church. I'm going to, to uh, testify and tell you about my personal story coming to, to Christ. And I'm going to give you a little context first so you can understand, you know, what shaped me or my life in the early years. So my great-great-grandfather, Matthias, um, immigrated from Austria to the United States in the mid-19th century. Uh, he brought his teenage brother Leopold with him, and they left with the blessing of their family, knowing they'd never see their family again. And so you ask, well, why would they do that? Well, the, even though it was 300 years after the Reformation, the Catholics in the South, the Vatican Army, was still fighting the Reformers in the Northwood, current-day Germany, and Austria was sandwiched in between, and it was the battleground. And so families are being forced to choose. Are you going to be a Lutheran or are you going to be a Catholic? And so to escape the, the civil war, a religious civil war, they came here. My great-grandfather built a church uh, out in the country, and that's the church where I was baptized and the church uh, in which I was raised. I was automatically accepted into that church by virtue of having been baptized there and having you know, a familial connection to that church. I have to tell you, uh, I wasn't baptized here, been a member here for 16 years, but I feel that same connection uh, to this church, and it's, uh, it's such a blessing. Well, interestingly, even though having been raised in the Lutheran church, I didn't come to Christ as a, as a child. In fact, as I continued to grow, got into my teenage years, the um, ministers started talking about Um, role models, who should be a role model for us in our Christian life. And there's only uh, one person uh, who is the model for us, and he hung on that cross. But uh, one Sunday, the preacher said, well, there's John back there, you know, we ought to all be like John. He's a pillar of the community. You know, we ought to fashion our lives after him. Or there's Carolyn back there. You know, she does a lot of charitable work. We ought to be like Carolyn. So recognize this was a fairly small community. I knew everybody there, and I knew that uh, John and Carolyn were sinners <laughs> like me. And I thought, well, wait a minute. So to come to Christ, you know, I, you know, I had to be what I perceived to be a bad person. You know, I'm not so sure I want a part of, of that deal. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more disappointed I became. And so I left the church when I was about 15 years old, and life went on. And I finished high school and went to college and got my education. Uh, met a good Christian woman along the way. She's been with me all these uh, many years. Had a uh, great life 
you know, more friends than anybody could ever uh, hope for. And if you were to look at me, you'd say, well, gee, that Al, he's got the perfect life. He's got the idyllic life. But you would be wrong. See, there was something missing in my life. And as time went on, I could feel a void in my heart. There was something that I was missing. And I was searching to try to find what it was. I suspected it had something to do with faith or the lack thereof. And so I reached out to a couple of co-workers who had accepted Christ as children. And that was another hard one for me. To, what, you accepted Christ as a child? One, I think, was five, the other one, six. How could, how could you do that, you know? Didn't understand it. So they ministered to me for about six months and told me about their faith and what it meant to be a Christian. But it just, it just wasn't enough. And so one of them, recognizing my frustration, invited me to go to a uh, men's prayer breakfast on Good Friday morning. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'd be happy to go. So I go, and it's at a local university and uh, the big dining hall, and I don't know, there was 100 men in there or so. And we had a nice uh, breakfast and socializing. People went around, shook hands and that kind of thing. And then after that, these men began to get up and shared their testimony, uh, somewhat like what I'm doing here today. And they were tradesmen, uh, they were businessmen, they were military men, they were engineers, scientists, I mean, men from all walks of life. And I was amazed as I listened to their testimony, you know, how they had come to Christ. And I recognized there was one common denominator in every story, and that was the word faith. So I had always relied on my intellect. You know, I was trained and conditioned as an engineer in fact-based and evidence-based decision-making. And if I couldn't see it or hear it or touch it, you know, it really wasn't real. And so I'm being asked to believe in this uh, almighty God who could perform these miracles, the supernatural. And then it dawned on me that I had gone about this all wrong. It was faith that was going to bring me to Christ, not my intellect. So I left that prayer breakfast, thanked my friend, and uh, began to reflect upon what I'd heard that day. The next morning, uh, I got up early because I had to drive a couple hours to my parents' home. They were moving uh, into their uh, retirement home and they wanted me to drive the, the U-Haul uh, truck and all that. And so I got up early, uh, got on the interstate, got out of the city, and uh, this was in West Virginia, um, mountainous and a curvy highway system there. So I was on the interstate headed north. And as I reflected on the previous day, I started to pray. Probably the first time in my life that I really prayed in earnest. And uh, I prayed, God, you know, if you're real, you know, I want you in my life. I, I want the peace and the hope that you bring into this world. And all of a sudden, and I'm going to get emotional on you here, but all of a sudden I felt the presence of the Lord. And I was, I was taken aback by that. And then God called me his own. And it's like, oh, no, no, Lord, you don't want me. I am unworthy of your grace. You don't know the things that I've done. I'm a sinner. And the more I resisted, the more God poured his love over me to where I couldn't resist anymore. And I felt something I had never felt before, words that I had spoken countless times now had meanings. The phrase, the peace that passeth all understanding. 
I recited that in, in Lutheran church countless times, but I never knew what it meant. And now, all of a sudden, I did. I was filled with this remarkable peace, this hope, this joy that resides in me uh, even today. Now, I remind you, I'm on the interstate, going up and down these mountains and curves and <laughs> all that. I drove 100 miles during the course of this encounter with God. I forgot all about driving. I was unaware of my surroundings until I got to the exit I needed to get off of. And then all of a sudden, oh, okay, I need to, I need to get off here. And I mean, if it sounds remarkable to you, imagine how it sounds to me even all these many years later. But I have, I'm going to deviate a little bit here. After the contemporary service, several people come up and talk to me, and a woman came up to me and said, she was saved while driving on 1960 in rush hour traffic. She said it was the same thing. It was like all this crazy traffic, and God came to me. And We all need to be saved when we're driving through traffic. Yes. Amen. But, but you also told the story. So, I mean, I've driven through those mountains in West Virginia. It's dangerous anyway. When you told me this story, like, Tears. Oh, yes. Not just tears. Oh, I was sobbing. Yes, the snot coming out the nose. <laughs> like, I mean, I was just, I, I was just overcome uh, with emotion. When I got to my parents' house, they could tell something was different about me. They didn't know what. I wasn't sure what yet at, at that point, just being, uh, what do they call, baby Christ, you know? <laughs> and um, got home that night, drove back home that night. Mary could tell something had changed. Uh, my other family members uh, my coworkers, my friends, my neighbors, all of them could tell I had changed. Uh, one dear woman who's a friend of ours uh, ran into her and she came walking up to me. She said, you've changed. I said, yeah. And she said, you've accepted Christ. I didn't say a word to this woman. And she, I said, how could you possibly know? She said, I can see it in your eyes. I see that you know the peace and joy that only Christ can bring to somebody. And somebody else, another friend said that I shared that, you know, I'd come to Christ said, oh, your life is going to be so easy now. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no, you don't understand. You know, the only did, people did, I was going to disappoint before was myself and my wife and, and family. Now, you know, I run the risk of disappointing God, not being the disciple who called me. Did you see that as an invitation to share the gospel? Because they clearly didn't know that, how this worked. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So this all happened more than 40 years ago, and almost immediately I felt compelled to share that story. Initially, I was concerned about how people would react. I had the fear, and that's fear really what drives people not to share uh, the good news of the gospel. I was afraid I wouldn't know the answers or afraid that people would say, oh, you're a crazy man, get out of here. And of all the people I've witnessed, and I have no idea how many that's been, um, I've never had anybody get mad at me. The ones who've let me know they don't want to talk to me, I could count on one hand. And, and they were always very, very polite. I'm, one of them is a dear friend of mine today. I think that's one of the big misconceptions. That's one of the big fears that everybody has. If I say something, they're going to th maybe think I'm hateful, maybe think I'm a bigot. Whatever everybody in the world says about us, that they're going to label me that way, that they're going to, I think everybody's afraid that we're going to fa face like really maybe aggressive, you know, aggressive pushback in the moment. And you've told me multiple times, you've yeah. never had that happen. It's, it, especially in this current postmodern culture, post-Christian culture where we live in such a broken world around us, there's so much darkness uh, around us. 
but I'm reminded of uh, Mark's words uh, last week when he uh, quoted from the book of Acts. He said, you'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and all of the world. And so I, I try to be that witness that God not just calls me, but calls all of us to be. Uh, just another aside, you're probably sitting there, well, when was the last time? Well, Tuesday, um, middle-aged African-American woman, and it's like God opens the door now. I mean, it's an amazing thing. God opens the door and he says, Al, somebody here I want you to witness to. And uh, usually all I have to do is start the conversation and they just open up and, and I, just, I just listen. Now, really, really quick, do you, how, you start, I would imagine you start the conversation by saying, um, ma'am, did you know that you're a dirty sinner and you're going to hell? <laughs> No, no. No? Oh, okay. No, that, yeah, that's not going to win friends and influence people. It's certainly not going to bring it to, to Christ. That reminds me of the Bible thumpers yeah. from back in my youth that would stand on the street corner and yell, you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. And, you know, that didn't work and it wouldn't work. No, it wouldn't work today. It's, it's just one word or two words. I said something about, you know, it's a blessed day. And, and she just started talking. And then she shared with me that um, her son-in-law had been murdered. She was working two jobs to support her daughter and her grandchildren and told me some of the circumstances around the murder uh, of her son-in-law and how it just destroyed her life and her daughter and grandchildren's lives and all of that. And I, I told her, I said, you know, you're not alone. You know, God's there with you in your suffering. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And turns out she was a believer, but she, God was calling me to lift her up. So, okay, so yeah, so that's really important. So it's not even necessary that she needed the gospel that day. She needed encouragement. She needed a brother to tell her wherever you are to comfort her in the middle of her that's disruption. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you, I never know. Yeah. I never know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. It's happened all, all kinds of places. Well, you know, week, week before last, it was a busy week. There were four people. <laughs> I witnessed you again, different ages, genders, races. I mean, I, I never know. There's weeks when I'm... I, I don't go out looking for them. It's all organic. And uh, wherever I, you go, wherever you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At the happy feet in the mountains. Yeah. Man, that's, that's my story. Yeah. And uh, I'm called to do it and I have to continue to do it. So Al's, he just finished a class on evangelism. He's working on some stuff. Uh, he's developing a pilot program that hopefully we'll see, but either ready in the fall or the spring that we'll start here and make available to you guys. He also has put his money where his mouth is and he's provided a gift for us today. Yeah, thank, thanks for the reminder, Chad. So I've read a lot of books on evangelism, tr try to help me learn how to help others become, you know, the witnesses that uh, God is calling us to be. And then Chad says, hey, Al, I heard about this book called Before You Share Your Faith. I'm like, man, I spent all that time looking for the right book and here it is, you know. And Look, the only reason it flagged for me was what does it say at the very top? Read it. Can you read it? It's read this, print. read this book. It could change your life. And who said that? Timothy Keller, the great. Well, there you go, Tim Keller. <laughs> yeah, just passed away, sadly. Uh, what a great yeah. man he was. But uh, so this is a really simple how-to. You can see it's a small book. You can read it in an hour or two. There are copies on tables at both uh, exits. Uh, this morning when you leave, please take one. Take one for a friend if you know somebody you think would uh, benefit from it. And then, as Chad pointed out, we're working on developing a more structured program on evangelism for the church here so we can teach everybody to, how to be the witnesses 
yeah. uh, that Christ is calling us to be. And if we run out of books, when you go out there, if, if we're out, um, I've, I've been given permission by the author to share a PDF copy. So uh, just send me an email and I'll share, you a, share with you a PDF copy of the book as well. You can also find them on Amazon, but there should be enough here for you. Yeah, and if we run out on the tables, we actually have some spares. I see them back there on the pew yeah. out in the narthex. And so we've probably got like 40 copies, 50 copies back there. So please. Uh, yeah. Take thank, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I know there's thank a lot you. more to it, and I would encourage y'all to spend some time with Al. You, many of you know, um, no, stay up here. I want you to pray for us. Um, many of you know, sure. Yep. Um, many, many of you know that Al, over the past couple of years, has gone through a couple of life-threatening illnesses, really sketchy stuff. And if you know Al, you'll know that he doesn't choose to do this. He simply can't not do it. Like, can you even count the number of doctors and nurses and whoever in the hospital that got to hear about Jesus because you happen to be really sick, right? Yeah. Well, it's nice to have a captive audience like that right. too, <laughs> I have to say. But it, it's amazing, all these healthcare professionals over, I mean, I spent months in the hospital, nurses and doctors and orderlies, and most of them are thirsty. Yeah. They want to hear the good news of the, of the gospel. And then some of them will share with me, and I've had some say, you know, I've wanted to understand this. Uh, uh, a lot of them come from other countries where Christianity isn't welcome. Yeah. And so they want to hear about it. Because I'm telling you, the one thing this entire world agrees on, right, left, whoever, the one thing we agree on is that something's wrong. And when you're lost and you don't know the answers, it's terrifying. So to have somebody just come to you in love and offer some good news in the midst of that, well, it's going to be received well. And if not, Jesus said, dust your feet and walk on, right? That's right. All right. So um, uh, the Apostle Paul said this to us in Ephesians 4, uh, if we can put that slide up. He said, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ, Al is one of our resident evangelists. That doesn't mean that Al's purpose for being here is to do our evangelism for us. That means that God has given us Al and others to equip us, to teach us, to guide us, to prepare us for these works of service so that the body may continue to be built up. So I'm telling you that in your life, Al just had some people he worked with that were willing to invite him to a breakfast. Like in your life right now are some lost and lonely people who are looking for some answers, might be afraid to ask, and evangelism might just look like, hey, I'm going to a Bible study Wednesday morning. Do you want to come? Hey, we've got this group that meets on Zoom that prays for each other. Would you join us? Hey, we have a church that really loves each other. We're trying to do this well even though we mess up all the time. You want to come to church on a Sunday? could start as easy as that. And Al and others like him are here to help us do that work. But that person is in your life. God has put that lost lamb in your life to help bring him back into the fold. So Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. We're gonna remind each other of that in a minute with our benediction. But I hope that the burning fire in my belly, the fire that I know is in Al's belly is starting to get contagious and spread to you because I'm telling you it's time for us to get to work. Amen? We pray for us, Al. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Gracious and heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you said that we would be a light into the darkness like a city on a hill that could not be hidden. But Lord, sometimes we're afraid. Uh, the current culture that we live in is so antithetical to our faith. But we recognize, Lord, it's 
makes it even that much more important that we get out and spread your word, the good news of your gospel. We pray, Lord, that we'll feel your presence in our lives and especially as we go out to be your witnesses. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.